Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is called Developing a Relationship with Your Sexuality and Desire, originally produced and published by Rhonda Farr, LDS Sexuality and Intimacy Coach. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. We have a super special guest, Dr. Finlayson Fife, who I am super excited to have on today. And before we get started and jump into the things that we want to share with you, I've asked her to share a little bit about her programs and all the things that she offers because I have heard nothing but amazing um, comments and I've read all the things and I actually can't wait to get to one of your retreats myself. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you offer? Sure. Well, I don't have a lot coming. I mean, I have a couples retreat that I'm doing in Jackson Hole in a couple of weeks, but probably by the time this is released, it will be happening or have happened. Um, And so I do couples retreats, or that's something I'm starting to do more of. And what I do a lot of is a women's sexuality retreat where I work with LDS women around issues of intimacy and desire and understanding their relationship both to themselves, their self-esteem, their sexuality and their desire both in the sexual realm but in general in their lives and that's probably you know the topic that I'm the most passionate about and um, so I will be doing one of those live three-day retreats next May. I'm currently taking a year um, a gap year with my husband and children and we are traveling uh, while the kids are doing some online schooling and seeing parts of the world so I'm not doing as much in terms of live stuff over the next several months, but next okay. May I'll be doing a live retreat in um, in Oregon for women, and then I will be doing more in the summer months of next year and the, and the fall of next year. But I also do online courses that where there's recordings of me that um, how to talk to your kids about sex, a couple's relationship course, a couple's sexuality course as well as the Art of Desire, the Women's Sexuality and Desire course. And so you can go to the content and then there's questions and um, assignments to help you process the content and how it relates to you and your life and your relationship. And then I also do office hours as a part of those courses so people can call and ask me questions on a kind of anonymous conference call. And so Uh, that's ongoing. Can that's do. ongoing. You can purchase that at any point and then have access to the course for a minimum of a year. What so a wonder- guarantee a year, even though people have longer access, but yeah. What a wonderful opportunity to um, be able to give that anonymity because I know, especially in our culture, sometimes that's a big deal. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's people a- feel like they're suffering around something that's quite unique to them when in reality they're in very good company, but many of us don't know it around some of these challenges, right? So, yes, I yes. have found that myself. And in fact, we can just jump right in with that. That's a great transition because um, what I'm finding is I coach women one-on-one and I offer free consultations and I give anybody who wants it right now a free hour. And so I find all these women who are super excited about it and they're signing up and filling up my schedule and then they yeah. don't show up. And then yeah, I will email them back and say, okay, you know, what happened? no judgment. And they're just so afraid. And they say, I just have so much anxiety. Tell me why you think that happens so often. I think it's a couple reasons. One is the issue of feeling like I implied a minute ago is that you're somehow unusual. 
for having these anxieties around sexuality and intimacy and that there's something defective either about you or your relationship. So I think that's one piece, which is just the sort of acknowledging to oneself or in front of a therapist that you're having a problem, I think can be challenging. I think the other thing is that I think, you know, the realm of intimacy and sexuality is, it's really challenging. I mean, I think it's much easier to work on communication problems because it's not as close to the bone. And I think sexuality is so, it's so uh, fundamental to who we are. And so um, it can feel very exposing and anxiety evoking to sort of address what your feelings are, your fears are. And I think some of us have ambivalence about, and many of us want to want sex more or we want to feel less defective in that sense, but we are ambivalent about really addressing what our fears are or what's happening in the relationship. And so sometimes it's easier to just kind of put it off or hope it will get better rather than what I think is often a courageous move to actually step forward and really address it. Yes. And as you were saying that, I, in my mind, I'm recalling all the women who we've talked about who have that quote unquote good girl syndrome. And yeah. I'm really curious what you think about that, because what I have found is some women intellectually know that sex is okay. I'm married. Right. Heavenly Father wants me to do this, but their brain is sending off all these danger signals, right? Warning, yes. this is bad. You were taught to not think about it. Don't yes. talk about it. So how does yes. that play out into adulthood? I think that's absolutely true for a lot of people that they have been given so much this message that it's, it's wrong, it's evil, it's Satan's pathway. And so even though they're sort of given the, the green light in terms of marriage, it just doesn't feel congruent with being a good person. It feels incongruent. And, and so there's, you know, I've had a lot of women say to me, I have no role model of a woman who is virtuous and good and also sexual. Ah. Right? And it's sort of like you, kind of what they have is, is what I think we do a lot in our culture the larger culture and also it within LDS culture, which is you've got the kind of harlot and the virginal righteous images of women's sexuality. Either you completely disown it or you are the kind of disgusting, depraved version of sexuality. And I think because very few women have seen a role model of a kind of integrated sexuality, sexual self-confidence, and in a capacity to kind of create goodness through one's sexuality and one's relationships. I think the fact that we lack that in a, in a clear way uh, makes a lot of people not really even know how to move forward in their marriages. Even if they recognize it's good, they, they don't know how to cultivate it or don't have an image of what it is they're trying to create. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like there is no person to follow, but I think that's why your work is so important. As you were saying that, I was thinking like, I think that's why people gravitate to your work so much. Yeah. We know yeah. that you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you made it your profession. Yes. Can you tell me yes. what helped you move forward? Because you started this at a younger age. So it's not like yes. you were um, yeah. a mature married woman and thought, oh, this is okay yeah. now. You started early in this work. Yeah. I mean, I, I did get married later, as in I was almost 30 when I got married. And so I was a little bit more mature in the sense of thinking about these issues and, and having a lot of friends who'd gotten married and seeing and knowing about their struggles and going into the helping profession. I was just thinking about it a lot more. Um, but I think that 
there is a part of me that always kind of held a dual reality and I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I had what I felt I was being taught by church members, my parents, society, and then a kind of sense of what I felt about God and what was true. And they weren't always congruous, right? A lot of times there was this difference. And, and there was a part of me that felt and, could, and knew that sexuality was a good and exciting thing. And I also felt anxious about it and felt like the cultural message was I shouldn't feel that way or that this was a dangerous thing uh, or something that would detract from my value as a person. And so I think there is a part of me that knew that that was wrong, that that cultural message was wrong, but I didn't fully understand why that felt to be the case. And then seeing friends struggle with it and just my own mind, this is how my mind worked. I just wanted to solve it. And so it just led me into doing the research that I did for my dissertation. I was asked to teach a course on human sexuality to undergrads at Boston College where I was getting my PhD. And so this just led me into really thinking about these things to reconcile my sense of really true good principles being taught in the church and yet cultural ideas that were really limiting for us and particularly for us as women. And I just kind of felt, I don't mean it in a really large mystical sense, but I did feel kind of called internally to, to sort this out and to help uh, my fellow sisters as well as uh, fellow brothers around yes. this. That's interesting that you say fellow brothers. Um, I have mentioned to a few of my priesthood leaders because of the calling I hold. I just said, I want you to know this is what I'm doing. It's going to be out there for everybody to hear and see. And, and yeah. this is how it is. Thankfully, I haven't gotten a lot of pushback by that. Uh, everybody's been yeah. okay. And in fact, yeah. one of the brothers said, we need people doing this more. And he went on to yeah. tell me about in his own family, a divorce that had taken place because yeah. of this very issue. And, and he was just so complimentary and so grateful. But I know sometimes we get pushback for it too. Like we yeah. still have that mindset of, don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Yeah. It's a, it's a secret. Keep it in your bedroom. Yes. Um, so we're, I think we're, but I think we're in a time that that's starting to shift. Do you think so? Yes. I think it probably is starting to shift. I know when I first started talking about these things, I certainly felt a lot more anxious about it. Um, that's good to know for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I felt anxious about it. I felt afraid of the pushback I would get. And now I don't feel anxious about it at all because I see how deep the need is and yes. I see how much it helps marriages and not just marriages, but, but women, men, I mean, for people to feel more anchored into their own souls and even their own spirituality to sort out and reconcile some of these things. So I feel a lot of confidence just because of what I know it's creating both in the stability of marriages and families and people. Um, so I'm not very apologetic for it anymore, which is good you don't need to be when you're doing good things in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that you said that because I think for all of us who are trying to do this work and help create the shift, but also for the women who need help in this area, I think it's such a great message for them. If you're feeling anxious, yeah. Dr. Finlayson, I felt anxious when she started too. I felt anxious. Mm -hmm. Like I went yes. to my priesthood leaders and said, just so you know, and you know, if you need to release me, because I, I lead a bunch of young kids, if you need to release me, that's okay. And yeah. it was great to hear, no, we need this. Yeah. We need to talk about this. So I just think yes. it's a great message to send for yeah. everybody. Yeah. And, and whenever we step into the unknown, 
and we are expanding ourselves or growing in any way, we're going to feel anxious. So the person who's growing and learning and changing is she's going to handle some amount of anxiety because it's just a part of life. And so it's normal. Yes. Um, it, it, moral courage is moving forward anyway when you feel it's the right thing to do. Yes, I love that. And so what I want to say to my listeners right now is we talk a lot about confidence, confidence in the bedroom. So there might be some anxiety that precedes that confidence and you should just expect oh, that, right? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. There will always be anxiety that you can't move forward in your sexual development without anxiety. If you think about the first time you ever had sex, you know, you're going to feel anxiety. Right. It's just part of developing your own sense of self and your sexual repertoire and your sexual comfort. Um, and so it's normal. And sometimes we take that to mean that something is bad or wrong, but I think that's often a misunderstanding of what, of just that we're stepping into the unknown and the uncertain and it's a part of our development. So for everybody listening, if you're feeling anxious about this, that means you're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> take that as a sign that you're going in the right direction for these purposes. Yes. Yeah. So you said something earlier that I wanted to come back to. You talked about the women who want to want sex. And I absolutely hear this all the time. Like, I want to want it, but I just don't. And I don't know how. Yeah. So can you speak more to how these women who are feeling that particular way can maybe take that first step or what they can do to overcome a little bit of that? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people want to want it in the sense that, um, they don't want to feel defective anymore. They don't want a husband that's upset with them anymore. They want to maybe feel like this piece is figured out. And, and I think that uh, what is, I think something to really think about is that usually when you don't want it, there is a very good reason you don't want it. Okay. Okay. And that is to say there's something happening and going on, whether in your own relationship to yourself and your sexuality or in your relationship to your spouse, that it has a sense to it. So you have to figure and, that out first. Yeah, exactly. Because I think if you just pathologize it or you think, you know, I want to want it, but I can't make myself want it, you kind of uh, either pathologize yourself or disempower yourself in a way that doesn't help you move forward differently. It's almost and like I, you're keeping yourself stuck by doing that. Absolutely. And when absolutely. you said doing it for your husband and it almost sounded like when you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it yes. even more, it like pushes you back even more than where you were yes. because then you develop that resentment and that um, That's right. frustration. And so it's even harder to take that first step almost. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is very much the premise of my Art of Desire course is I'm talking about what are the meanings that many of us have inherited and or created in our marriages that wanting or desiring is actually makes good sense that we don't because of what it is that we've created and done. And, um, and I don't mean that just women have created and done this. It's a lot of times the messages we've inherited, the ways we've learned how to be a woman, the ways we've learned how to be a, a wife, um, how we've learned to be in relationship to our sexuality. And so, um, yeah, we're often, you know, something that one of the people that I train with a lot is Dr. David Schnarch, who does a lot of work on intimacy and marriages. And one of the I things I have that looked into does, him because of you. <laughs> because of me, yeah. I've heard you talk about him so many times. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I found him through you. Very, very valuable, has been very valuable for me. One of the things that he talks about is that we want to belong to our sense of self more than we want to be sexual. And this is true for men and women. 
Okay, so belonging to our own sense of self, our sense of agency, our sense of power, our sense of um, the ability to belong to our own core selves is more important to us than sexual pleasure or sexual intimacy. So okay. interesting. Now, the reason why that matters, and it's kind of very much overlaps with the research I did because I was looking at Mormon women's sense of agency in their sexuality and how it impacted their sexual choices and many women talked very much about having a very low sense of agency. I mean, they didn't know, they weren't talking in that language. It was what I was looking at in their narratives. But, um, and so that is to say, if you feel like you are there to service your husband or to keep him happy sexually or to keep him from looking at pornography by you being sexually sufficient for him and so on, you are not going to want sex because the reason is because you feel like you are there in a frame of servitude and sort of loss of self to manage him or to keep him faithful to you or to keep him in a particular happiness, uh, you know, have, keep him happy with you. And so when you do that, you feel like um, being sexual is actually to kind of lose yourself. This is one version of, there's a lot of ways that I talk to people about this. Okay, so this is one version of it, is if you're there servicing your husband, you feel like you're losing yourself, you know, you're by trying to prop up or manage his sexuality. And if you feel that way, a way to retain your sense of self is to shut your sexuality off. Or, for example, if you feel like my desirability or my value or my femininity is connected to not being very sexual, and I want to feel desirable and feel like a dignified woman and feel like I'm going to have respect, then I will dis distance myself from my sexuality as a way of holding on to my sense of self. Yes. And so a lot of times we have meanings that are operating that make integrating our sexuality or becoming more sexual counter to another goal that's operating within us. So it's and almost like sex becomes work or pushing it away is hard work or serving your husband and doing it all for him. It's like, it's begrudging yes. and then, and there's oh, no absolutely. joy in that. Right. And who's going to want that? I mean, who, yeah. who wants that? I mean, good sex, you know, a lot of times husbands will pout and demand and pressure. And then they complain when they have a compliant wife who shows up, but not a passionate wife that she's not showing up passionately. Okay. And of course those are antithetical wishes. You can't pressure someone into sex with you and tell them that they owe you this or that, you know, you're going to, that you need it and all that kind of thing. And then expect that they'll show up passionately because it's no longer a function of desire and expression of self and expression yeah. of your sexuality. It's about trying to manage somebody else's feelings and that will always kill passion. And so many people set up the sexual dynamic, many women do, as a way of servicing but not as a deep expression of themselves. And that fundamentally has to change if it's going to be about passion or intimacy. So here's my question for you then. How do you suggest women who are feeling this way, how do they sort of dig up those thoughts and feelings? Like you were saying, they kind of have to get in tune to why they're feeling this way, why they think they have to suppress it or why they think they have to service their husband. How do you suggest that they um, bring that to the surface so they can do that work? I mean, the, you know, the course I teach, I really do a lot of helping people see what's operating so that they have more ability to recognize um, what's happening inside them. But to give sort of a, um, a one way of thinking about it, 
you know, something you could maybe think about is what scares me about being sexual. Mm. You know, what is it that I dislike about it? How do I make sense of the fact that I don't want to have sex? What is the part that I dislike about it? Um, um, what if I were to imagine being sexual tomorrow, right? Being able to be sexual, would that... To, to, one thing I want to think about out loud for a second is that when we're dating, often sexual desire happens to us. And the ecology of a dating relationship is such that desire is a very easy or normative experience. So it's kind of reactionary. No, it's thought. reactionary. Yeah. You don't have, and, and all the things that create desire are present. That is uncertainty, mystery, things you don't yet know. You know, you don't know if this person's really into you. Again, going back to this idea of we want to belong to ourselves more than be sexual, when you can belong to your sense of self and be sexual, well, then it, it's very, very, it's very, very positive. That is to say, when you have met someone who thinks you're attractive and desirable and so on, that's a very expansive meaning. And so your sense of desire will be high because desiring actually expands possibilities in your life and expands your sense of yourself because you have the validation of the beloved. Um, but once you get, and so desire is happening and it's exciting. You think getting married is going to be phenomenal because it will just be so fantastic to have ever some, after. Yeah, some legitimate way to express these feelings. But I think that uh, what often happens then when you get married is all those meanings that created desire before have now gone away. It's now very legal. It's very predictable. It's somewhat certain. Now, often for women, it's in the frame of obligation and should. And so all the things that made it so desirable are now not operating. And then- So it requires you know, effort now, right? Absolutely, it requires and effort. Consciousness. Yes, so I think that, that now it requires effort, like you say. And I think that if you have not been taught that it's okay to cultivate or create this, then you, yeah how to say it, you now, if you're going to feel sexual desire as a married person, you need to create it, cultivate it, cultivate the meanings between you and your spouse that would make sex desirable for you. Cultivate a relationship to your own eroticism and your own sexual feelings that would give it a place to grow and to flourish in your marriage. And that's an act of volition. That's an act of, of, of legitimizing your sexuality. And for many, many women, they don't feel comfortable doing that. They don't feel permission to do that. It feels like it's antithetical to being a good woman. And so you're not doing anything. You're wanting it to happen. When you say, I want to want, you know, it's like, okay, sure. I'd like it if the feelings would come around like they once did. Yeah. But that's not how it works in marriage. And I think it really requires that you actually cultivate and foster and grow these feelings that many of us are anxious about and afraid of. And yet it's, it's what is needed if you're really going to be able to have desire in a kind of consistent way within a marriage. I love that. And I love the idea of the relationship with your sexuality, because oftentimes we think the relationship with our husbands, the marital relationship, but I love the idea of you saying that we have to create a relationship with our own desire and ourselves yes. first. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting. Something else I was thinking of as you were talking, you're talking about how we have to create this and we have to really be aware of what we want. 
I just read this book by Steve Chandler, but he was talking about how we are conditioned all through our lives with all these messages from our leaders, from our parents, and it kind of programs us a little bit like a robot. So we're operating from this out, out um, external programming, but he says, isn't it really cool to think on your own consciously of what yeah. programming you want to give yourself and create that from a space of intention? And that yes. really struck me like, People sometimes think, well, yes. I feel kind of fake trying to move forward into something no. that I don't feel good. But yeah. it's the very yeah. definition of authenticity when you decide on purpose and then create yeah. that. Absolutely. And it's one of the most amazing things about being human is that we have our brain, but then we also have our mind. And by mind, I mean the conscious, deliberate part of us that can actually shape our brains, shape how we are in relationship to the world. And this is you know, in our theology, this reality of our agency. And our agency is limited by our brains and by our circumstances. So I don't mean that, that we have no limits, but having agency or ability to choose or direct our thoughts or choose different paths has a real impact on both our, our brains, but also on what we create in our lives and what we hand down to the next generation. And I think, you know, as you see societies evolve, you see people evolve, it's, it is this process of deliberate choosing, choosing better than what you were offered. And it's how we get healthier. It's how we get better. I think it's what God is asking for of us to do is to take what we're offered and to um, metabolize what's difficult or hard and to create better with it. And I love really that. our capacity. Yes. And, and it's our way to really do, make a better world, you know, not just one that we live in within our own minds, but also the world that uh, is around us. And I think that goes back to what we said before, that shift that we are trying to create, especially within the culture of the church. Yes. So for everybody yes. who's listening now, two Latter-day Saint women talking to you, we give you permission to be sexual, to explore your sexuality, to have a relationship with your own desire. I was yeah. talking to a girl one time, she said, it was just like I needed somebody to tell me it was okay. Yes, absolutely. And to see that, that people that, um, I actually believe that integrating with your sexuality is fundamental to being a strong, confident person. Yes. I mean, because if you are a house divided, if you are rejecting a fundamental part of your God-given body and your God, you know, your godly nature, which is our sexuality, you will be in conflict internally. And when you're in conflict or rejecting something fundamental to being human and to being female, you undermine your clarity, you undermine your confidence, you undermine your ability to really be at peace in your own skin. And as women, this is something we desperately need. I think that we, you know, I'm here traveling right now in England and we've been visiting these medieval castles and medieval, uh, you know, looking at basically the culture in which women lived in the 13, 1400s and so on and into the Renaissance. And the idea that women were property, property of men, that they had, you know, sexual violation was normal. You know, if women spoke too much, they could literally be put in muzzles and dragged through the streets and things like this that are very hard to learn about and kind of tolerate the reality of. And I'm saying all that because there are deep traditions that we are growing and evolving out of in which we really understand the, the godly idea that men and women are truly equal. 
And you can't create a Zion-like community when you have suppressed any part of God's people. Uh, and so this is part of us belonging to our God-given strength and letting go of false traditions that handicap us. And you see the evolution, um, but God needs our strength. Our families need our strength. Part of our strength is really being at peace with our whole selves, which does include our sexuality, not to service our husbands, but to really accept the gift of our sexuality that our parents in heaven have given us. So uh, not only is it okay to have that relationship and, exactly. and those desires, but it is good and worthy. It's, absolutely. It's, it's, it's fundamental. I mean, one of the kind of unique LDS doctrines is the idea that you, that a body is a part of developing your sexuality where a lot of Christian interpretations are in the frame of a, a body interferes with godliness, interferes with goodness. And in our theology, it's that it's fundamental to becoming more like God. That is to integrate the passions in a way that through passions that you can create beauty, create goodness. If you are too extreme in your indulgence, it will be ungodly. But if you are too repressive and pushing down of any pleasures, it's also ungodly. And so it's how do we take our sexuality and create goodness and strength and joy in our lives through it? You know, pleasure in moderation is really the backbone of joy. And so, and then by moderation, I mean a kind of integration with our values that the pleasure sustains us and blesses us and creates goodness. And yes. I think we need a clearer, we need to hold on to the truth and the wisdom in that and to live it in our own lives as well as offer it to other women around us. I love that you said, hold on to the truth. Something that I have the women I work with do is we will just brainstorm. What are all the things you were taught when you were a kid? And we'll actually write those thoughts out on paper that they kind of hold on to. And then we, we kind of put those thoughts on trial. Is this really true? Do you really mm -hmm. want to believe this? Is it serving you at all? So I love that. We have to hold on right. to the truth because so many of us have these thoughts and beliefs that are not truth. And if we think right. about it consciously from our higher brain, we right. know that it's not true. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And exactly. And pushing your mind that way is really important because it's easy to fall into the old ruts and to let them sort of run your life yes. uh, instead of being thoughtful and deliberate about what you accept. So I want to switch gears a little bit because I want to speak to all of my audience. Now, this definitely is not the majority, but often I hear women who have the higher desire in their relationships and mm -hmm. it can be incredibly painful and feel yes. very rejecting and have them question their bodies. Like it just has yes. them question everything. So I want you to yes. speak to us a little bit about the women who want sex and they feel good about it, but their sure. husbands are mismatched in desire with them. Yeah. Well, I think that um, two, th two or three things I'd say about that. One is that this can be, I mean, of course, it's very painful for a man also to not feel desired by his wife. Um, but I think it can be especially painful when it's a woman who's the higher desire person and has a low invested husband or low investment in a good sexual relationship because it can feel like, you know, men are supposed to desire so what's wrong with me and or what's wrong with him or our marriage? And so it can be kind of a double blow of a feeling of being defective. Yes. And I think that that's just because of the stereotypes that we have around men's and women's sexuality. Because I think there's a lot of women who 
Uh, I think it's less true in LDS culture because of the way that we've been enculturated, but I think in the larger population, it's more matched than people realize. It's, it's not as dissimilar as we would think. Um, That's good but, to know. But, yeah, yeah. But I think that one of the things is that when, what, what my advice would be is that, first of all, it doesn't make you weird or him weird if you are, if this is just a difference in terms of how much interest you have, how you live in the world. You know, if you're somebody who likes new experiences and you tend to live more passionately, it's a good chance you're going to be the higher desire person. And um, it doesn't mean anything's going wrong. So a lot of times those differences, it's how we handle the differences and whether or not it becomes like if it, we make it very personal, and I would say this to men who are the higher desire person as well, if you make the other person's lower desire very personal and you make it as a sort of rejection of yourself, you're going to have a harder time navigating this in your marriage uh, you know, than if you can sort of see it as, look, we both have differences and how do we kind of build a bridge and create something that feels good and sustaining and loving for two of us, right? Because every good marriage is you're, you're creating bridges across differences where two people feel like they can thrive. And it's going to mean compromise and it's going to mean making, you know, tolerating the differences and making room for the differences without getting too reactive. So obviously this is a little bit of an, an understatement. So for those listening who struggle with this, I don't mean anything personal, but if we view it as something like, I like to read more and he doesn't, and, yeah. and let's talk about this. Let's get our schedules on track. And instead of coming from a place of deep hurt and resentment, yeah. like yes. the chances of yeah. working together and figuring this out yes. will be way higher. Better. Yes. Yes. Because it doesn't get overloaded with meaning and, or if you're not guilting and shaming the lower desire person, yes. now it makes it feel, they feel kind of like they can't belong to themselves and be sexual with you and that they have to manage you. And so you burden something that, you know, oftentimes the differences I see in couples are way more punctuated by the way that they've handled it. And, mm -hmm. and so then when they have the resentful spouse showing up because you, you know, blamed them enough for your unhappiness, and then you maybe have sex, but you still feel unfulfilled because you know they were just sort of humoring you. Okay. And, and you see how it kind of creates this cycle you can't get out of. So you but have I resentment, think, hurt, yes. um, neglect, rejection, like it's just, you're yeah, throwing, and struggle. yeah, and That's yes, and struggle. you're throwing yeah. it all into the pot and then trying to navigate this sacred eternal relationship that we believe yeah. is forever around yeah. all of the garbage that we've yes, un exactly. unknowingly sometimes, innocently yes. Think, yes. thrown absolutely. into the yeah, uh, absolutely. It's very natural. It's very easy to create these things. So interesting to look they, at it that yeah. way. And I think the other thing to think about is, you know, sometimes, and I think this is true for women too, I think that sometimes we get married and we don't really choose our spouse. We marry them without choosing them. And that is to say, I want the security of being married. I want to be desired by you, but I don't want to step in and care for you and invest in you and really love you right through my body or love you at times when it's inconvenient. And so sometimes the higher desire woman or man, you know, depend, is, is, is partnered with somebody who isn't, hasn't really chosen them, hasn't really invested. And that's when I think it can feel really hurtful is that you feel like it's not just that they don't enjoy sex as much. I don't really feel fundamentally desired by them. I don't feel like they're really bringing their best to me. They want the comfort of the marriage. 
but they, and they like the comfort of knowing I desire them, but they don't want to actually uh, be inconvenienced for me or really extend themselves into my life. And I think that's when low desire feels especially painful because it is a measure of the way the other person is in the marriage. And, yes. You know, and that can be true either direction, of course. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you said you got married a little later in life, especially for our culture standards. Yes. But um, yes. I think the fact that so many of us get married so young and we really are very immature. Many, yes, many absolutely. of us. I know myself, yes. I was very, yes. very immature when I got married. And yes. so when, and hearing you say that it triggers all those thoughts, like, yeah, I didn't, I had no clue what I was right. really committing to. That's and right. I felt very much like you're explaining like, oh, this is going to be fun. And this is what I'm supposed yes. to do next. But it really wasn't a lot of thought about, I am choosing this person through thick Absolutely. and thin. We will support each other. We will form this union that is strong and you know, all the things that come. I didn't think about any of that. And I think that's very common. Very, very common. And I think, you know, what happens is the marriages that really make it at some point, both people really do step up and choose, even if they have three kids and a mortgage at that point. Right. But they, they really do at some point say, look, I choose you, even if you're already married. And if you don't do that, I think it makes the marriage very, very painful. But yes, culturally, we don't do a good job of preparing people, especially when we marry young. You know, most people get married for the wrong reasons. I mean, that is, I want the security, I want the social legitimacy of it, I want the party. I mean, you know, all my new beginnings nights and temple nights, it was like, wow, the party's going to be on. The dress, you know, the presents. Those were most of the things I was thinking about. <laughs> yes. Uh, so thankfully, I didn't get married till later, and I had time to really think about what exactly I was doing, which, you know, it's, it, it matters the foundation in which you create the marriage, and you can change the foundation. It's harder, uh, but you can create a new foundation. So I just like to take a minute sometimes and point that out to those who are listening, like, and give a challenge. If you haven't chosen your spouse already, take some time this week to think about what does it mean to really choose that person that you're already married to? If you need to make some adjustments, make them. I know for sure that was an eye-opening experience for me to really start thinking about, is he here to make me happy and to provide the money that I need and the help with the kids that I need? Or is he here for me to love and me to support? And I really had to think about that intentionally. Right. Absolutely. Our husbands are insecure human beings just like we are. Yes. They are, they, they long to feel desired and cared for and valued just like we do. And a lot of times if you are the lower desire person, you get the security of knowing that you're wanted without having to want in return. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's a dangerous position because you get the security. You know, a lot of times people don't want their husbands until they feel their husband's desire for them waning. Right. And so they, it's almost not until that point that they can recognize that they're taking advantage unwittingly often of the fact that they have security of knowing their desire, knowing that that person's invested in them, but not returning the same. So and it's unfair, unfair thing for us to do. And, and women who are the higher desire person who are partnered with someone who's low investment, they know how painful that is. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for your thoughts on that. Because sometimes I think women in that position, especially feel embarrassed to speak out because like you said, they feel defective. There's something wrong with me. 
because men are supposed to be um, sex yeah. crazy, right? He's supposed That's to right. be all over me. And when he's not, then I am right. effective. And then what's the matter with me? Right. Yes. Yeah. I love that. So I kind of want to circle back to where we began, where we began as we close up. Um, we talked about how, you know, sometimes it's hard to reach out and sometimes we're so embarrassed and we, and we're just not sure that we're ready to take that step. But I want to ask you in your experience, what happens when women are so afraid that they don't reach out for help? Like what's the long term for their relationships and maybe even how they end up teaching and exampling these same thoughts and um, the same cycle for their children? Like what happens long term when we're too afraid to work on these issues? Well, I think who we are in our marriages deeply impacts our marriages. I mean, you can't um, kind of deprive a marriage or pollute a marriage without then having to live in that deprivation or that pollution. You know, I mean, if you think about it that way, that what you do impacts not just the person you're with and your children, but it impacts you too. And so when we resist growing or facing hard things, we don't have peace in our lives, right? There's no peace for cowards. I mean, when, we're, when we live our life by fear, we pay a deep price for it. And I'm not saying that anybody who's not dealing with their sexual relationship right now is a coward. I'm not trying to say <laughs> that, but <laughs> uh, only that I'm saying is if we kind of habitually let fear determine what we do, we will pay a big price for it. And I think not only does the marriage pay a price often, if somebody feels like, you know, that, that you'll never really, you know, when we get married, it's different than other loving relationships because it is in its core a sexual relationship. That it's out of sexual desire that you choose one another. It's a choice-based relationship. And so if you get married, but you want to shut down the choosing aspect of it and the sexual aspect of it, it really wreaks havoc on the marriage. And even if you are partnering in raising your children or doing good things in the church, it wreaks havoc on the marriage. And so you pay a price for it. But I think maybe even more importantly is if you don't, kind of confront and work out your relationship to your body and your sexuality, which is different than saying you have to engage all of that in your marriage if your marriage is, is uh, problematic. That's really important distinction. Yeah. I love that you yes. said that. You yeah. can work on it right. with yourself without yes. putting it into the marriage just yet if you That's need right. time. Right, because oftentimes marriages are not in the right shape to really bring that sexuality in, and, and yes, you know, or that something needs to be dealt with there. But I think working out our relationship to our own sexuality and our own integrity is fundamental to our peace of mind and our self-confidence. Yes. I was saying to my son today, I don't even remember why it was coming up, but I was saying, you know, you can't really have self-confidence. You can't really like yourself unless you, you know, deal with the parts of yourself that you dislike or yes. deal with the parts of yourself that are incongruent with your own ideals. And so people that really have peace of mind are willing to face themselves, are willing to face the things that are not developed in them. They're willing to face the darker parts of themselves. And it takes a lot of courage. I mean, I really, I think that's why faith is a virtue because, because you know, faith, the principle of faith leading to repentance is this idea it takes courage to face and change things. And yet that's the way we become more godly, more, you know, uh, like our parents in heaven. And, but it, it's not easy business. It's not, it's, it's hard to change. It's hard to face ourselves. Yes. As you're speaking, I keep thinking of this quote I've heard you use a few times. I think it's by um, David Snarch, but it's, there is no peace without integrity. 
And That's I think right. in our culture, um, you know, we think our marriages are so sacred and they are eternal. And we think that we are eternal beings. And so when we feel like our marriage is defective or we are defective ourselves, we're mm -hmm. never going to be at peace because something right. that's supposed to be sacred, but we're feeling defective, we're, right. it's just out of congruence. And so that's I right. feel like ultimately you're never going to be at peace and you're always going to be having this mental drama going on, but I should be this way, but I feel this way, but I want to be that way. And it's just like mm -hmm. a never ending cycle of beating yourself up and wishing yes. to be something different. So yes. yeah, yes. just no peace. That's right. No peace. And you know, none of us are ever going to be perfect. Okay. Because we will always have aspects of ourselves that are underdeveloped or in, in progress. But I think that when we know we're not systematically avoiding dealing with things or not facing parts of ourselves that are hard, it's when we know that we're pushing against something that we're kind of being invited internally to address and deal with, that's when we're the most in conflict. Oh, I love that phrase. We're being invited internally. Mm -hmm. I've yeah. never thought about it that way. It's like sometimes your body or your life in general will invite you yes. to just take that next step to the next level. That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Such an interesting way of looking at it. I like that. Yeah. Um, I think that I've been invited internally to look at a lot of things in my life that have felt very counterintuitive. But as yeah. I've done that... And I'm sure yes. many of us have felt the same way. As I've done that, it has transformed me into the person or closer to the person yes. that I know I can be. And like you said That's earlier, right. that Heavenly Father really wants us to become our potential. Yes, right. Exactly. That's really how we become strong. It's not through perfection. It's through deeper in integrity, deeper wholeness. Yeah. You yeah. have provided so much insight and I've listened to probably every podcast that you've done. I've gone and, and listened to all your work, but I feel like today we've gotten even more. And I love what you said in your teaching moment with your son. I'm, I'm so grateful that you had that discussion with him because mm -hmm. that kind of um, speaks to my soul. Like we can't really have confidence and love ourselves until we recognize what it is that we don't really like and then yeah. spend some time there in that work. I think that's amazing. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Well, wonderful. thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. This has been wonderful to me. So yeah, hope you enjoy great. your time in England. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> enjoy your year off. What amazing experience for you all. Yeah. We're loving it. So yes, that great. sounds wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We will let you be on your way. I have taken my allotted time, I believe, but I really appreciate it. And maybe we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about female sexuality and desire, visit Dr. Finlayson Fife's website today and look for the Women's Sexuality and Desire course under the online courses tab. This online course includes 11 hours of video instruction, weekly assignments, as well as a year of monthly access to Dr. Finlayson Fife's opinions and thoughts on your specific questions and situations. You can find Dr. Finlayson Fife's website at www.finlayson-fife.com. Thanks for listening.